The following for the city sermon is from our sermon series by Pastor Scott Rising entitled Feast for Failures from the book of Luke. We hope you enjoy it. All right. Hey, so uh, over the past three weeks, if you've been paying attention, we've been going through um, really, I mean, it's, it's almost a series within a series of the gospel of Luke. And it started with the, the Pharisee and the tax collector, okay? And if you remember correctly, the Pharisee went to the temple and he was talking about how great he is in his prayer. He's like, God, I thank you that I'm not like the rest of these people. And there's a man who's standing in the back of the, of the temple and, and he can't even draw near because he feels so not worthy. And he's not. And you're not either, right? And, and so he understands that reality. And so it says that he, he, he beat his chest and he said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus tells this parable and he says, and now he doesn't say it like this, but he's like, I bet you expect the one who's doing all the things right that goes home, pleasing to my father. But I want you to know it's the one who's asking for mercy and the one who has made a mess of his life. That man goes home justified. That man goes home in good relationship with my father. What came out of that then is, is really, well, we looked at two sermons already. One was the rich young ruler, and he really is representative of this, this Pharisee who's self-righteous. Yeah, I like God, but it's me and God. I'm going to get myself there. You get me halfway, I'll get the rest of the way, right? And this rich young ruler, he had great wealth, but wealth had a great hold on him. And so Jesus tells him, listen, just give all that you have away to the poor and follow me and you have eternal life. And this man would not let go of the things that really had a hold of him. And he said, I'll do anything for love, but I can't do that. And so he walks away very sad. He walks away very sad. He had opportunity to just receive the gift of grace and enter the kingdom. And instead he said, no, the cost is too much. I'm unwilling. And so then you have last week, which we had blind Bart, right? He was a beggar, and he's really representative of the children who Jesus says, don't hinder them from coming in. This is what it looks like to come into the kingdom. And we really thought about that. What does that mean? It means that you come as helpless and dependent and very needy. I bring nothing to the table. If I'm going to be in the presence of God forever, he must do it. I must receive it, and I must receive it like a child. How's that? With open hands. With open hands, with open heart, I bring nothing to the table. It's all what God does. And so if you remember back a couple weeks, Jesus made this statement. He said that it would be easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it would be for the rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now this shocking statement caused the disciples to say this. Who then can be saved? Because what you got to remember is, is wealth was an indicator of God's blessing in this time and at that time. And this man was a good man. He, is, he was doing all the right things, it sounded like, but he was an idol worshiper. He loved his wealth more than he loved God. Well, today is really the, the crescendo of all these little stories within a major, major story of the Gospel of Luke. And, and we're about to see a camel go through the eye of the needle. It really does set it up so beautiful in the way that Luke has written this gospel. So, this is the last personal encounter before Jesus enters into Jerusalem, okay? 
So look with me. Uh, Holly already read Luke 19, 1 through 10. We're just going to work our way through it slowly. Luke 19, 1 and 2. He, Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. Um, by the way, I come in today, and uh, everybody's buzzing about football for the most part. We're talking about all the different games, and, uh, but not, not my buddy Colton. Colton had a, a song he wanted to play for me, and I should have had him cue it up for me uh, right here. It'd be a good little moment, but it was the Zacchaeus song. And if you grew up in church, you know this song, right? It, right now, some of you, I can tell by the way you're smiling, you're probably singing it. Now, I didn't grow up in church, but I had to write the little lyrics down. It's like, Zacchaeus was a wee little man, and a wee little man was he. He climbed up in a sycamore tree for the Lord he wanted to see. I got a little bit of rap going on in mine. Um, <laughs> I love 90s rap. Hey, what can I say? So I hear that song, and I think, it's not helpful. It's just not helpful. It's not helpful in understanding the Bible. It's really not. So I asked him, I said, when you hear that song, what do you think of? And we started to have this conversation. I'll I tell you, it's, it's memorable, but it's not helpful. And so you got to have your mind changed about this guy. you, you got to think harder because when I hear that song, I think of like cute little hobbits jumping out of the bushes and they're like, Jesus, that is not the picture that you should have. You should not have a picture of a huggable, lovable hobbit, right? Um, it's, it couldn't be further from the truth. A chief tax collector. When I hear tax collector, I think IRS. So now, okay, well, they're probably pretty friendly. That, that is not even close to Zacchaeus. I know IRS is not real exciting, but they're not going to kill your wife if you don't pay your taxes. All right? Zacchaeus was much more like a vertically challenged Tony Soprano who looks like Danny DeVito probably, <laughs> right? Jesse and I were watching TV last night, and I saw Danny DeVito. I was like, that's Zacchaeus. Um, this dude made his living, made his living by cheating and oppressing fellow citizens. I mean, he, he's essentially the head of the Jericho tax cartel, right? I'm waiting for a, a Netflix series on this guy. This guy was a notorious criminal. He was a sinner, he would not have been well-liked. The only reason people would have maybe liked him is because they feared him or they wanted something from him, probably money. Zacchaeus is a man, and he is in great need. He's in great need. And, and Jesus is going to say, that he, he chooses this man to say, this is the camel. He's rich. There's no way. He is so wicked. He, there's no way he'd get into heaven in his own merit. He's going in, though. He's going in. Why? Because my father performs miracles. <laughs> that's really the, the, that's the point of the story. So if you're tired, take a nap, and uh, the band will be up soon. By the way, Callan loved the band. He started crying as soon as they stopped. Kevin comes up here, he's crying. Prior to that, he's laughing and smiling. I feel that sometimes. See, this might be less obvious than Blind Bart being very needy, but but. This is no less severe. As a matter of fact, it's probably way more severe. I think we all read Blind Bart and we say, of course Jesus has compassion on this man. Of course he gets into heaven. Of course God's going to save this man who's so destitute. And we can get dull to the idea that God loves to save the most. It seems like the furthest from God. He's wicked. 
He is all about money. He's, if you're comparing him to the rich young ruler, you're thinking the rich young ruler is by far much closer to heaven than this guy. But what we don't realize until we actually have our minds open to understand what the Bible teaches, every one of us are as equally and far away from God until God performs a miracle. We, we're so far away, and yet we're so very near. <laughs> yeah, you could come in here week in, week out, and, and hear the message of the gospel. So therefore, you're very close. Yet you could be so far away because you've not received this good news. You hear it, and you say, ah, that's a nice story. Pastor Scott was funny today. That's unusual. I laughed. Let's have lunch. Oh, don't do that. Never trifle with a living God. Never presume upon his mercy or grace. Zacchaeus had heard about this man, Jesus. And so it continues on. Look at verses three through seven. And remember, wicked Danny DeVito. That's what we got in our mind. Not the little hobbit. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. So once again, blind Bart's been waiting for Jesus to come through. We know he's coming through. We've heard about this man. We got Passover coming. Zacchaeus is waiting for this man to pass through. And look what it says. And when Jesus came to the place, imagine this, he looked up. And he said to him, and we don't know how these guys know each other. We do not know how Jesus knows Zacchaeus, right? You could say, well, he's God in the flesh. Uh, maybe it's Levi. Levi's a tax collector. Maybe he talked about this man. He's a notorious sinner. But Jesus looks up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and he came down. And look what it says. Zacchaeus received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they being the crowd and probably the Pharisees and the very self-righteous folks, when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone into the, to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Okay, the crowd. Let's deal with the crowd real quick. The crowd seems to be pro-Jesus, right? Um, they probably got like make Israel great again gear on. They probably got their flags, right? And they're, they're probably very excited about Jesus coming in because they're thinking Messiah is coming to take over. He's going to crush Rome and they're going to set up the establishment, the good old days of King David coming back. But they don't actually seem to understand what he's come to accomplish, and the reason I say this is because they grumble and they complain about Jesus' willingness to eat with sinners. But all throughout the, the Gospel of Luke and Jesus' life and ministry, this is what he does. He's, he's always hanging out in the places, in the shadows, in the corners, in the regions where the righteous folks would never go. And he's like, that's where I'm going to be. That's where I'm going to go. And he goes to the synagogues too. There's not a place he doesn't go because he loves all people. And so he goes. But they don't, they don't like it. They, they grumble. They complain. They are not happy about his willingness to eat with sinners. And so this is kind of just like the children that everybody was deterring from coming to Christ, right? And, all, and, and like blind Bart, who, who they were like, come on, shut up. You're interrupting the guy. He's too busy for the likes of you. And so they just continue to push the people that are on the margins out further. And Jesus doesn't, Jesus doesn't have it, 
right? By the way, that kind of thinking, it just so easily seeps its way into a church and pervades its way into the, the focus of a church. What do I mean by that? Pushing out the people that aren't like us, right? Um, what I mean by that is we, churches can get real excited about traditions, and it doesn't take long to have a tradition. By the way, I find it interesting that most people already, we don't have pews here, but they got their sections, right? And they don't know what to do when someone's in their section, and it's like, ah, right? Buildings, traditions, politics, these things can become front and centers within the church, we can start to focus on them. We can start to major on these things and, and forget what Jesus is doing and what Jesus seeks to do through his people, right? The church ought to re- resemble its Savior. And so if Jesus is, is gathering with people that are not like him, right? Not really. And breaking bread with the people that are <gasps> scandalous to the, let's say, the well-to-do of a community. Shouldn't the church resemble that? This has always challenged me. Um, See, the reason I say this is because churches can know the gospel theologically, but never take it out of their buildings to their neighbors. And that breaks my heart. It breaks my heart because, now, I'm thankful that Jesus saves. He, He has a way of just getting the message where it needs to go. But I would say that doesn't let us off the hook, right? And what I mean by that is we should be compelled to bring the gospel message to those who are the furthest away, right? And, and by, by and large, y'all do. I couldn't be more thankful to be the, one of the pastors of this church, right? But about the time we stop thinking about it, talking about it, we'll stop doing it. And we'll just surround ourselves with people that are just like us which is boring, by the way. Um, Let let me just discuss something real quick as as a church. There are churches that really, they don't announce this because it wouldn't be good, but they, if you believe the way we believe, right, and if you behave the way we behave, meaning you dress the way we dress, you have the same translation of Bible that we have, and all these different things, maybe eventually you might belong here. Now, you might be a member here, but that doesn't mean you belong here. But I mean, we, we really, you're welcome here. That's so backwards. <laughs> it's just so, so backwards from what the gospel teaches. So how we seek to just blow that whole entirement understanding up is what we want to say is from moment one, the moment we meet you, you just belong here. doesn't mean you're a member of For the City Church, but you're, you're human. We're human. Jesus loves sinners. I'm pretty sure you are one because we are too. We love you. Welcome. And, and what we hope that when that happens, that as you come in to the community, you begin to understand the gospel and believe the gospel more for fully. And as you do, what happens is your behavior changes. But I'm, I'm convinced it's the gospel that transforms, but it's the gospel through a community of people. Okay? So, so we don't put up all these walls and say, you don't belong here until we're saying you belong now, which made me so happy at our luncheon last week. And, and the reason I say that is because there were people who didn't come to the service, but they came into the lunch, and y'all just welcomed them. I mean, you just welcomed them. I'm so thankful for the way you welcome people. I'm cheering you on. Don't quit. My cheering on can seem intense sometimes. Uh, I know. I'm sorry, Ethan. I, I don't know how to not be that way. I try to peel it back, but don't take this as, this is happy Scott. Cheering you on. Keep loving. Keep him going. Keep going. 
right? Why do I say that? Well, I tell you, um, that's exactly what we have here. I love that Zacchaeus is, he's seeking to see Jesus, and Jesus is seeking to save him. That's how it works. By, by the way, both of these are the sovereign work of God. The, the fact that Zacchaeus even wants to see Jesus is, is God working in his life. Now, Zacchaeus may not understand that, but, but know this, Jesus knows Zacchaeus. His name has been written in the, in the Lamb's book of life before the foundation of the earth. It's just the time to put the date on the stamp. Let's go. So he's saying, I must stay at your house. He knows him. He loves him. He has come to seek and to save this man. This man. And there's so many more people in the city that he seeks to save. I, I love how the Apostle Paul articulates this in Ephesians 1, 4, and 6. Listen with me. It says, even as he, God, chose us in Christ, him, before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. I mean, it's, all, it's been God's design and desire to save this man. It's, a, it's according to his will to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. <laughs> Do you know there are so many Zacchaeuses out there? So many. Jesus isn't done saving people. I think we can make the mistake of thinking, oh, that was for then, you know, when God was really interested in sinners and saving folks. Now it's just you're either born in a Christian home or you weren't. Nothing could be further from the truth. I've seen so many people that we've been able to interact with, but then so many other churches interact with who I was in a domain of darkness for 30-some years. Jesus, I, I hear this gospel message, and I realize there's a God who loves me, and I, I believed him. I trusted him, and they've come to faith. I got to hear one of those stories in our missional community groups this week. But know this, Jesus was seeking Zacchaeus for salvation. Salvation. This, this makes me think of all the people I've interacted with throughout my own ministry. One in particular. Um, there's a young lady in particular from Indiana, PA. She was in her late 20s when she, well, her early 20s when she moved to Vegas. Okay, I won't say her name because maybe someday you'll meet her. She moved to Vegas because she was wanting to just, what's the saying, get turned. I guess that's old. But, you know, she wanted to really wild out. And, and her parents were putting a, a cramp on that style. So she moved to Vegas, put all the money she had to go there. And before long, it wasn't long before she'd become an alcoholic. She'd be strung out on drugs. She would be used and abused by many different men. She would wake up in prison and her life was a wreck, in shambles, in great debt. And, and she didn't know which way was up and which way was down, which landed her back home. She comes back home, and she, she ends up working as she, she cuts men's hair, okay? She's very good at that, by the way. And during this time, she's trying to pick up the pieces of her broken life, and she's now cutting the hair of a friend of mine who happened to be the music leader of a church I used to pastor. And he just gets into this conversation, and he, he just says, so, you know, tell me about yourself. And she's just... <laughs> And he, he's, oh, this guy's full of the gospel, he's full of the Holy Spirit, and he's full of love. And he just says, you know, I am a part of a church plant, um, and, and I would love for you to, if you want, just come on over. We're, we're painting 
today. That's how he said it. We're painting today, meaning we were putting on a fresh coat in a new location because we had outgrown the space we were in. You should come join our painting party. And so that day, the elevator, because we were on the third floor, we're getting there. We're down on the second now. Um, Dings. And here comes this young lady and she's got a brush and she's got a bucket. And I said, who are you? And she says, my name is, and she says her name. And I said, who sent you here, God? Because we really needed a lot of people to help us paint. And, and she says, no, this guy named Tim Buffone. I said, that's close enough for me. Welcome. Right? And, and so we get to talking. And she begins to just unpack her whole story of her broken life and how she just feels absolutely hopeless. And I said, you know, if you don't mind me asking, are you a Christian? And she said, man, I got to tell you, I'm really trying. I said, oh, gosh, that sounds awful. And she says, what? I said, it just sounds awful to try to be a Christian. That just tells me you're trying to get God to love you. And I said, why don't you just quit trying and, I don't know, be one. And she's like, what does that mean? And so I began to share the gospel with her. And the community began to share the gospel with her. And the community began to invite her in. And next thing you know, she's showing up here for a lunch. And she's showing up there for a lunch. And, and I just want to tell you right now, I don't know how many years ago that was. Maybe Jesse, seven, eight years ago. She's now been walking with the Lord faithfully for eight years. You would never recognize this woman compared to the woman that she once was. And, and she's married to a guy who I just adore this man who's now going through the work of becoming a, an elder of the church. I tell you that story. I don't generally take time to, to talk about these things much within a sermon, but I think it's important that you understand that the gospel that saves is powerful to transform and change a life that you would never recognize. And this woman is an absolute example of that. And if you want to hear more, corner me afterwards peacefully, and I'll tell you more. I'll tell you so many more stories. None of this stuff is, whoa, that's a magic story. No, this is just normal life when you walk with God and when God's people are committed to inviting, friending, knowing, sharing the gospel with people. I'm just never surprised. I'm almost always surprised when I just don't see it more. But there's times for that too. There's times for that too. I don't always understand it. This is how it works though, right? This is what happens when people engage those on the outside with the extraordinary love of God. Very ordinary people engaging people with a very extraordinary good news. And he just does transformation. Look at verse 5 once again in Luke 19. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. I love how Jesus doesn't ask Zacchaeus, is it convenient? Does it work for you? For me to come over. You got something in the crock pot, bud? Right? Can I come? No, he says, I must stay at your house. I must come. For Jesus, the, the table, or let's say hospitality, was a place for friendship. It was a place for welcoming. It was a place for gospel communication. It was a place for mission. And, and ultimately, the love. Love. That's what hospitality was for. It, it was to serve the greater mission. And I couldn't tell you, that is the key to reaching any place, I promise you. It's welcoming strangers into your life. It's welcoming strangers into your home. It's welcoming them to maybe have a coffee at first to make sure they're safe to bring into your home. But 
but it, you can be hospitable without them coming into your house. Hospitality is how you welcome strangers. That's really what it, the word means. How do you greet them? How do you welcome them? Do they have to work their way up to your respect before you respect them? Or do you see that they are made in God's image? Therefore, you're worthy of intrinsic value. And I respect you from moment one when I meet you. This is what Jesus does. Hospitality is what we extend to outsiders, to strangers, and those who are in physical and spiritual need. Tim Chester wrote a book, A Meal with Jesus, and here's what he said. I love this quote. He said, Jesus' mission strategy was a long meal stretched, stretching into the evening. He did evangelism and discipleship round a table with some grilled fish, a loaf of bread, and a pitcher of wine. That's what Jesus' ministry looks like. I don't think ours should look much different. You might trade in the fish for a steak. Um, you might trade in the wine for a soda. But at the end of the day, it's, you're getting to know one another. You're getting to know one another. You're getting the opportunity to love and to care for. Jesus didn't throw rocks at sinners. He actually would pick up the rocks that most of the culture was throwing at them, and he would then start to build a bridge into their lives. This is what God's called us to. Our lives should look just like his life in many ways, don't go get crucified, right? But Jesus was separate from sin, but he, he was never separated from sinners. I'm sitting on this point because I've preached Zacchaeus so many times that I, I really want to bring it home to your life. I want it to affect the way you think about how you currently are living in the way that you interact with people. Sinners loved being with Jesus. Is that true of you? Is that true of you? Or, or do you speak a foreign language that they just can't understand? Now, I think there are times where, you know, for the sake of trying to be cool, Christians will make the mistake of engaging in sinful activity, and they're like, ah, sinners like, I love being with that guy. That's because they don't even know you're a Christian. We're not sure you are either. It's not that. It's because he... He, he saw them. He saw them. Do you know we live in such a lonely world where people wonder, do people even see me? And I'm telling you, if you will see people. By the way, this is for me too. It's just so easy to pass by people, right? But if you'll see them right where they're at and, and not try to get them where you want them to be, just see them. Love them tangibly. Make somebody soup. This, we're not talking rocket science. I often think that we think that spiritual things are like, ooh, I was floating today. You're not going to float. That's weird. Make soup. That is so spiritual. <laughs> Write a card to somebody, right? Pray for the people in your life. Engage them. Ask them, how are you? And then listen. Say, do you want to grab a coffee? Right, the stuff that we're talking about as a church, it's this is it. It's the very ordinary stuff of life. Now, let me ask you a question. Sinners love being with Jesus. The poor, the vulnerable, the outcast, they found hope in him, right? I think that's the thing. They, this man's different, right? It was the self righteous type that got upset with him. Now, let me ask you a question. What about you? What does your social life look like? Ask yourself that. Think about it. Is it only people like me? By the way, that's going to happen. 
You're going to, if you have young kids, you're going to hang out with people with young kids. It's just going to happen. I'm not, I'm not against that. I'm for that. Enjoy that community. Enjoy your friends. But then would you do me one step further? Invite someone that's not in that group to your friend group. And welcome them. Welcome them. Invite them in. Why? Because this is what life with Jesus looks like. Uh, as, as a missional, uh, as, as a church that was, let's say, the core group before we ever had a public service, we worked really hard to make sure that we understood that we were moving here for a purpose. I didn't want to sell the house I loved to move to the house that I now love. Didn't at first to, to just because I needed a change in life. I, I wanted to see sinners, lost, de-churched people come to experience life with God and life with God's people. So we said, this is what it means to do that. We are going to live our lives very intentionally on mission. So we went through some different materials to talk about what that looks like. But I just got to tell you, the stuff we were talking about wasn't unique. It was just Bible. It's everything that Jesus did, right? The mission is to be as close to Jesus as you possibly can, to walk with him daily, to pray, to, to read his word, to commune with one another, to spur one another on, right? And as we trust him, guess what happens? The Holy Spirit of God, through the word of God, transforms our hearts. He absolutely does. To love what God loves, to hate what God hates, and to intentionally pursue life and relationship with people who don't know him. That's what it means, right? And, and why? In hopes of connecting them to who? Yes, to us, but ultimately to God who loves them, to the God who sent Jesus to die for them and to save them so that they might live with Jesus forever. Friends, our city here in Greensburg is filled with lost people. That's not unique to Greensburg. Every city's filled with people who don't know him, but they cannot find Jesus on their own. Yes, I know God can and will save all his sheep, but I'm saying he uses means to accomplish the end goal, which is bringing people into the kingdom. And, and I got to tell you, they need people to help them with the signpost and the guidepost of how to get to where they need to go. And I think the mistake we think is that, well, I'm not there yet. You, every one of you, I'm telling you, probably know more than you need to know to share what you need to share to let people know that there's a God in heaven who loves them. And we think, well, what if they ask me about questions about dinosaurs? Go to gotquestions.org. I don't always agree with it, but it'll get you there. And no one really cares about dinosaurs. It's really just a red herring because they don't want to talk about sin before a holy God friends, engage them. Because life with God is not simply just getting your sins forgiven and then sitting around waiting for yourself to die or Jesus to return. How boring of a life would that be? What we see here is a real life example of Jesus saying, I see you, Zacchaeus. I know you, Zacchaeus. Oh, and I've come to save you. I've come to save you. How many Zacchaeus can you get to know in 2024? It's a real question. See, the gospel com it compels us to participate with Jesus in seeking and saving the lost right here in the city and in the culture that we currently live in. Why? Ultimately, because it magnifies Christ. Why does it magnify Christ? It magnifies Christ because Jesus delights to save hell-bent sinners. Why? Because that's ultimately all there is, and that's absolutely why he came. Where do I see that? Look at Luke 19, 8 through 10. 
And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord. Now, he says, behold, notice the language, Lord. Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. By the way, as far as we know, nobody told him to do this. This is far above the law and the requirement of the law. He's showing the transformation in his heart already, right? And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. Listen to the language for because the son of man came to seek and to save the lost. Have you ever wondered why Jesus has come? He has come to connect sinners to a holy God. That's why. Everything else is means. Cross. That must happen to connect sinners to a holy God. The resurrection must happen to connect sinners to a holy God. God delights, desires to save sinners, to bring them into his presence. And when it happens, all of heaven rejoices. The angels rejoice. We learned that in Luke 15. It's all throughout the Bible. Jesus loves to save lost people. I think often we just don't think that's true. And so we don't try. We don't share. We don't take a chance. They might not think we're cool. Most of you aren't. I'm not either. Join my team. Who cares? Quit letting that get in the way of sharing life-giving news with people who so desperately need it, which, by the way, is everybody. Everybody needs this news. And you might be thinking, ooh, I don't know if I can do this. That's okay. That's where you're at. Don't stay there. Get connected to a missional community group, and you'll be surprised what God does through a community of people. Invest your life. That's what, that's what I'm asking you. That's what I'm asking you to do. Don't be a casual attender. Connect with God and God's people and be on mission. And I guarantee you, you'll enjoy your life more than you enjoy it now. Because most often, if we can be real, the life that's not connected that way is just so self-focused. And that's fun for a while. I did it for a long while. But it becomes pretty lame eventually. To be clear, salvation came not because of what Zacchaeus promised to do in verse 8. I think a lot of people make that mistake. Instead, what he said he would do came in response because he had already received salvation. He says, Lord. Uh, don't, don't make the mistake. Zacchaeus's confession, Jesus as Lord, was showing that he trusts in Christ. And everything he says after that is in response of that faith. Does that make sense? The reason this matters is because that's everything Jesus has been teaching up until this point. So he's not going to switch it on us now. So Jesus invites himself into this man's life. And imagine what that night looked like. I have no clue. We don't have a clue. But I'm guessing there was a lot of joy, a lot of laughter, a lot of food. The, the, my guess, the wine was flowing. But you know what else was flowing? Conversation conversation. And, and Jesus was telling Zacchaeus about the kingdom. And he's saying, come with me. And Zacchaeus responds in faith to that message, unlike the rich young ruler who hears the message and hears the call and says, the, the cost is too high. It's too high. And Zacchaeus says, there's no other place I'd rather be. It's his faith. It's not his works that makes him a true son of Abraham. Zacchaeus had a dramatic encounter of grace. That's exactly what happened here. And it changed him. It changed him. Prior to this moment, we can imagine Zacchaeus' life was, was kind of like 
about the rap song by the locks in 1998, I think, and it was Money, Power, Respect, right? That was a very popular song at that time. I think that was his life. His life goal was about money, power, respect, and now he's a changed man. Grace changes people. Jesus had come into his life, and he was now transformed. The grace and love of God changed this man's heart transform this man. To the point, the only way you'd recognize him is his appearance because he's a new man. He's, listen to the language. If I've defrauded anyone fourfold, I will make it up. This is what repentance looks like, by the way. And, and once again, just to keep it clear, repentance is a gift of God. It's not a work we perform. Okay? It's something we do, but it's something that we do in response to something that has been done for us. We, we receive this gift of grace, and this grace comes into our life, and it transforms us to be more like Christ, who is the most generous ever. See, the grace and love of God has been given to him. What did he want before? Let's be honest. Wholeness. He wanted satisfaction. He wanted meaning. He wanted something that he was seeking to get through wealth, through money, through power. It reminds me so much of everything we learned in Ecclesiastes. And he could not get it from this life, and he received it in Christ. He finally received everything that he was looking for. And who provided it? God provided it. To the point now, he's like, I don't need these things. I have you. And I'm willing to give these things up. Why? Because I have you. And you're eternal, and all these things could just be gone tomorrow. It's beautiful. It's the fruit of repentance. And we, it's like this, right? Right here in this story. Now, to be clear, that's not how it works in our lives most days. It might be a slower burn, but I'm telling you, if you've received Christ and you're in Christ, that work's happening in your life. The question becomes is, are you cooperating with the work of God in your life? What that looks like is yielding humbling yourself before God, before his word, and saying, Lord, continue to transform me to be like you. And as he just continues to show who he is in the word, and his spirit begins to conform us to that, we seek to cooperate. Why? So God will love us? No, because he does. This is the life of a believer. Remember back to Jesus' response to the rich young ruler? He said how difficult it is for those who have wealth to enter the kingdom of God. And yet, what do we see here? A man who had great wealth. And what's he doing? Entering in, right? And he says, for it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. And everyone says, then who can get in? And the answer is no one. And we're like, but then we got Zacchaeus. But what's impossible for man, if you remember what Jesus says, is absolutely possible for God. God does the miracle of salvation. Every time. He gets all the glory. He gets all the credit. You say, well, I believe. If you believed, it's because you responded to the work that was being done in you. If you've been transformed, it's because you're responding to the work that is in you. Please don't make the mistake of thinking that salvation is something we do. It's not something we do. But, but please also don't make the mistake of thinking that once it's done, then all I do is sit around and wait. The gospel continues to call a demand upon your life. Jesus has said it over and over that it is useless to talk about loving him 
trusting him, having this sweet uh, assurance of forgiveness and salvation and the glorious hope, unless it makes a difference in your lives. Why do I say this? Because I've, I've just, I've met people who say, yeah, I know Jesus. And there's just no, and they may have, I don't know. I don't get to judge that, but there's no desire for the things of God. Do you have desires for the things of God? If not, can I just encourage you to call out and ask for mercy? Ask him to create that in your heart. Why? Because what we see is that Jesus' emphasis on generosity and life transformation, it's not the means of salvation, but it is absolutely a major evidence of salvation. A major evidence of salvation. And so over and over in the New Testament, what you see is Paul is always working to make sure that, yes, the people that are saved continue to enjoy and embrace the salvation so that they will then truly one day fully finally be saved. Be saved. And so I'm going to work hard trusting that the Holy Spirit's working in your life to awaken you to these spiritual realities. There, there are hard texts in the Bible that confront us with our deadness. I was having a great conversation with a guy on Wednesday night, and here's what he said. There was a, about two, time, two years ago, someone said to him that he loves, um, hey, where are you with the Lord? And, and this man said, you know, he's so honest. He said, if I could be honest, at best, I'm lukewarm. And this person said, well, I, I, I love you so much. Are you, are, you just so, are you okay with that? And this man said, um, no. And then this person said, then you, you got to do something. And so this man did, and this man now goes to our church, and he would say two years later, he goes, I know I'm going to get corrected by Pastor Scott. He goes, but I am born again, born again. And the reason he said I'm going to probably get corrected is because he knows theologically that doesn't happen. You're born once physically, hopefully you're born again spiritually, and that's a one and done deal. But what he was expressing is that he was experiencing a spiritual renewal in his life. And, and what he was expressing is, and, and, and they all said it, I understand God's grace and love for me. And guess what it compelled? A new man. A new man who had new desires. And this man had not arrived. And he still sins. And he still struggles. And there's still days where he's lukewarm. But what he's saying is, the more I pursue the Lord, the more He transforms me. The more He conforms me into the image of His Son. And that's the best life. But it's an uncomfortable life. Has God brought you to a place where you're like, I want more of you. And if so, oh, is that good? Is that a good place to be? Ask him. Ask him for more grace. Ask him for more mercy. Ask him to transform your sight so that you might see his glories. And they will then, you will begin to loosen your grips on the things of the world. So what's the point? I got one really long point. Probably could have been many points. But it's just saying the same thing over and over. There's probably redundance in here. Forgive me. The gospel of unadulterated grace offered to hopeless sinners will humble, comfort, and transform all at once. Side note, not at one instant. Even though it isn't an instant, you just don't see the fruit of that. The results are joy, willingness to admit faults, generosity towards the poor, graciousness towards all, and a lack of self-absorption. And the ref reformation of one's entire life in response to God's love. 
my encouragement is you think about that. Every word matters in that thing, right? Think about that point and then ask yourself, God, where are you encouraging me to change? If you've never asked that question, it's, it's a good question to ask. Take initiative. And, and, and here's what I would tell you. God will meet you in that space with grace, with mercy, with forgiveness, and, but with real power, with real power to be more like him, to be way more like him. And it will be an uncomfortable process, but it will be a beautiful process. But I do want to make sure that we understand that, that if you ever experience genuine transformation, know this, it's always a work of the Spirit. It's always a gift of the Spirit, and it is what the Spirit loves to do in the life of a believer. But, you know, often he'll wait until you say, help me. And the reason he waits is because if he doesn't, you could make the mistake of thinking you did it. And so... My encouragement, and I'm just going to finish up here very simply, is that you and I today take time. Take time. Set a timer on your phone. I know you're going to get busy with your day to take a half hour, 15 minutes, to just get alone with the Lord. And to, to, to think about that quote in light of this text, the point, and ask God, show me. Show me the areas that Really, I know that are keeping me from pursuing you and being transformed to be more like you. Change me. Change me. And I know some of you, I've heard preachers say this before, are afraid to do that because you think he's going to make you do something radical and you're going to have to go to the jungles and reach cannibals. Maybe. I know people who have done that, um, but probably not. <laughs> probably not. But can I just tell you right now, God, as your Father loves you, will never have you do anything that is not the best. The best. If you can trust Him with your salvation, you can trust Him with your life. And if you don't trust Him with your life, you don't trust Him with your salvation. Let's just be honest. So ask Him to do that. Ask Him to change your heart and your mind to conform you to be like Him. And the reason we can do that is, friends, you and I can climb down from the tree of self-righteousness, self-absorption, self-importance, self-exaltation, and all the other self-words that are ultimately self. And you know why we can climb down from that tree? It's because Jesus willingly climbed up a different tree for us. See, the cross makes all of this possible. The cross makes all of this possible. Jesus went to the cross to save sinners, to transform sinners who are now his brothers and sisters, children of God, to be more like him. And, and I'm telling you, a people who understand the grace and the cross and the resurrection of Jesus Christ will change a city in time, I promise you. So ask him to do it. He has so much grace for you. So much love for you. Squeeze it out. Ask for more of it, and he will provide. Let's pray. Father, thank you that you are a God of gigantic grace. That you are a God who, who sought us out. If, if any man or woman in this space has come to know you, has come to trust you, to have faith in you, is because you knew them. You knit them in their mother's womb. You sought them out. 
you shared the good news of Jesus Christ. They heard a message from someone or some avenue through a podcast, through a sermon, from a friend, and, and by grace they believed. Faith comes by hearing it. God, thank you for the salvation of the people that are in this room who have come to know you and to enjoy you. And Father, now as your children, we ask that you would continue to conform us, to transform us to be more like you. Lord, that our lives would be representative to the grace and love that we have received. God, make us a people who love you preeminently, who, who love one another most. And Lord, may that love then be on display for the people of the city of Greensburg that they might be able to see. And they might be able to be haunted in a sense by the question of why do these people love like this? So that they might come and hear and know of the great message of Jesus Christ who, who willingly died to save sinners. Jesus, thank you for seeking us out. Thank you for saving us. Thank you for the gift of salvation. Lord, work mightily in and through us to bring you much glory. We need so much help to do this, and we trust that you will provide. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to this sermon. If you found it helpful, we encourage you to enjoy more of our sermons, find out more information about For the City, or how to partner with us through prayer and giving at www.forthecity.church. For the City exists to magnify Jesus by making disciples who share and show the transforming power of the gospel and plant churches that multiply.